Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled, Living Wisely. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. He's been called by some the greatest, most influential, most confident athlete of the 20th century. Muhammad Ali's professional boxing career took off like a rocket in 1964 when he humbled Sonny Liston, the heavyweight, he was the heavyweight title holder at the time, but uh, he humbled Sonny Liston by giving him a shocking upset. However, Ali eventually needed to be humbled as well. One day, back when he was wearing the heavyweight champion belt himself, he was taking a commercial airline flight the flight attendant was walking down the aisle and reminding people to buckle their seat belts as they prepared for takeoff. And as she approached the champ, she asked him, Mr. Ali, would you please fasten your seatbelt? To which he said to her, Superman, don't need no seatbelt. She immediately responded like a mother talking sweetly to a child, well, Superman don't need no airplane either so buckle your seatbelt. And I'm told he obliged. Many of us tend to think that pride only affects or is only a problem for athletes or celebrities. However, the scriptures teach that it's a problem we all struggle with. We're continuing our series in the book of Proverbs today called Living Wisely. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word to Proverbs chapter 16 or to fire up your favorite Bible app on your tablet or smartphone. If you forgot your Bible, please raise your hand and one of our ushers can bring you one. We'd love to loan you a copy so that you can follow along today. Also want to encourage you to take out the sermon notes that are inside the worship folder you received. There's an outline for you to follow along so that you can take some some notes and fill in the blanks and hopefully maybe next year or in the future you'll be able to pull it out and This uh, message will refresh your soul uh, in the future. Just as a little bit of review from last week, uh, in my first uh, message in the series last week, I I sort of laid the foundation of what the book of Proverbs is about and what the key words are and how it's structured. If you missed that message, you can check it out online. It's on our website, as well as uh, there are downloadable notes, and uh, it's also on our podcast. Solomon is the one who wrote most of the book of Proverbs, at least uh, 29 chapters worth. He was the king of uh, Israel from 971 to 931 BC. Uh, Not long after he followed his father David to the throne, Solomon became famous when he uttered a prayer that impressed the Lord. He asked the Lord not for more women, not for more wealth or warriors in his army, but instead he asked the Lord for wisdom. The ability to discern right from wrong, uh, to discern good from evil. After this, Solomon became known as the wisest man in the world at that time. Wisdom is simply the skillful application of God's word to every area of life for God's glory and for our good. 
Our theme verse for this series is Proverbs 9.10. It should be on the sermon note handout you received. If you haven't already done so, I want to encourage you to underline it in your Bible and to uh, work to memorize it with me this summer as we go through this series. I think this uh, theme verse of Proverbs 9.10 captures all that Solomon's trying to say, what he's trying to get across to us throughout this book. Let's read it out loud together. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I think one of the many things that Solomon is saying here is that your relationship with the Lord and how you view Him will determine whether you gain His wisdom. Throughout this series, Solomon will tell us one simple truth over and over and over and over again, and that is that wisdom reaps blessings but foolishness reaps cursing. It may be God cursing you, or it may cause you to curse because of your foolishness. You may feel like cursing. Why did I do that? As I talked about last week, many times we can look back, all of us can look back on seasons in our lives where we wish we, know, we, wish we knew back then what we know now. And so... Those that apply God's wisdom from God's word in all areas of life generally have a less difficult life than those who don't. It's not a pain-free life or a trouble-free life, but rather a less painful one. They have fewer problems than those who are foolish or ignore wisdom or don't seek to gain wisdom or apply it. However, according to the sage, failing to get God's wisdom from God's word, it's not only foolish, it's prideful. And that's our big idea for today and what we're going to be talking about. Uh, the, The big idea is the sermon in a sentence. It's my attempt to boil everything down and simplify it for you in one simple sentence. And it's this, wise people pursue humility while fools pay for their pride. Wise people pursue humility while fools pay for their pride. I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again uh, so that you don't forget it, and that is that the inclusion of an entire book in the Bible on wisdom, I think is God declaring you all, including myself, need my wisdom. Because no one is born wise. It's also, I think, the Lord saying, I want so badly for you to live a life that's pleasing to me and a life that I can bless, that I'm willing to write down everything you need to do so that all you have to do is read it and do it. You don't have to figure out life on your own. Because you can't. All you have to do is read God's wisdom in his word and then apply it to your life. And the Lord says, I'll bless you. And you'll please me. Now Solomon answers the following questions, at least two I can think of in the verses we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, The first is, uh, why is pride a problem that we need to worry about? And then another question I think he answers is, well, how do I start to learn humility? 
What does humility look like? And so uh, with that, uh, we're going to look at Proverbs 16 to start. Now, uh, just as a reminder, too, from last week, uh, because the book of Proverbs is not organized by topic in any one given chapter, you can see 15 to 20 different topics addressed. Um, it's, so it's not like other books of the Bible. I'm going to be uh, hopping around to different chapters, looking at different verses, and basically what I'm doing in this series is I'm, I'm sort of collating I'm, I'm grabbing all the verses and Proverbs on a certain topic, and I'm going to put them all together in a message for you each week this summer. And so, but in order to do that, to study the topics that are addressed in Proverbs, we have to hop around in, in different chapters. So we're going to start in chapter 16, verse 5. The sage says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. But be assured... He will not go unpunished. Here's point number one on your outline. The first thing that Solomon tells us in Proverbs about pride is that the Lord hates pride and punishes it. The Lord hates pride and punishes it. Notice the all-inclusive pronoun everyone, the plural pronoun. So it's not exclusive. There's not uh, limitations to this. It's everyone. It will happen eventually. Everyone who is arrogant is an abomination to the Lord. Now, if abomination sounds like a nasty, shocking word, it's because it is. The Hebrew term means to abhor something. Uh, To abhor means to hate, despise, detest, or to disregard with disgust something. It's uh, I was trying to think of some ways that I could illustrate this for you to help you understand how the Lord feels about pride. And here's some things that came to mind. The Lord, the Lord hates pride ten times worse than kids hate vegetables. Or, or ten times worse than we hate rush hour traffic in Los Angeles. Oh, and if that's not good enough, how about this? The Lord hates pride ten times worse than you hate having to use the restroom in rush hour traffic. And being stuck, bumper to bumper, and you can't get off to use the restroom. Or, or how about this? Running out of toilet paper in a public restroom. Or having spotty Wi-Fi connection. Or a toddler kicking the back of your seat on a cross-country airline flight. The Lord hates pride more than we hate all those things. Next, he says, be assured. The original text uh, uh, contains the Hebrew idiom that literally reads hand to hand. It, it's a, it was a Hebrew idiom for a handshake uh, that would close a business deal. It, so Solomon is saying, as sure as a business deal locked in by a handshake, the Lord will punish those that are proud. For the unbeliever, it may be an extra dose of his wrath. For the believer, it may be withholding of eternal rewards that they could have had if they had humbled themselves. The consequences sometimes are immediate. Sometimes the Lord gives out the punishment for proud people on this side of the grave. Sometimes he delays it for the other side of the grave. But regardless, his punishment is inevitable. 
Renowned theologian Lewis Smedes vividly describes pride in one of his books like this. He writes, Pride, in the religious sense, is the arrogant refusal to let God be God. It is to grab God's status for oneself. In the vivid language of the Bible, pride is puffing yourself up in God's face. Pride is turning down God's invitation to join the dance of life as a creature in his garden and wishing instead to be the creator, to be independent and reliant on one's own resources. Never does pride want to pray for strength or to ask for grace or to plead for mercy or to give thanks to God. Pride is the grand illusion, the fantasy of fantasies, the cosmic put on. You know, as if that weren't bad enough, one of the many problems with pride is that it blinds us from seeing that we actually have it. It makes us quick to see it in others, but slow to see it in ourselves. And so just remember, the next time you're looking at somebody thinking, man, he or she is prideful, they're looking at you thinking the same thing. Or the next time you go to the Lord in prayer for your spouse, going, Lord, humble my spouse with a strike of lightning, please. They're praying the same thing on the other side of the house. Or the next time you're praying for your child, Lord, I don't know why you gave me this kid. He's so arrogant and stubborn. That child's in their bedroom going, Lord, why'd you give me these parents? <laughs> Can I get some better parents? You know? So therefore, the question is not, does pride exist in my heart? But rather, instead, the questions we all need to be asking is, where does pride exist in my heart? And how is it being expressed in my life? I used to think that people were either proud or humble. However, after struggling with my own pride for years and doing a lot of reading on the subject, both in some really great Christian books, but also in the scriptures, I have learned that uh, uh, we all have both pride and humility. It just shows up in different ways. Like a mixing board that tailors a song uh, acoustically and uh, blends frequencies. And, you know, one, one person, one sound guy might set a mixing board differently than another. They all have their different style and preferences of what sounds good to their ears. Well, in a similar way, we all have varying amounts of pride and humility. Some people have more pride and less humility, and others have more humility and less pride. But we all have both. It just depends on where our pride shows up. For example, some people are humble enough to serve others, but pridefully express their opinions when not asked. Some are humble enough to be good listeners, but are too proud to be vulnerable in their small group because they don't want to appear less than perfect. Some are humble enough to admit they aren't perfect, but they're too proud to receive criticism or correction when they make a mistake that reveals they're not perfect. And so we all have pride and humility. Some have more 
of one and less of the other. But the scriptures call us to pursue humility. So what does a person filled with pride look like? Uh, Proverbs has a lot to say about it. There are a lot of verses, but I don't have time, and you want to go home today, and so do I, and we could be here for a couple hours. And so what I tried to do is to sort of boil down and simplify as best as I could what the, um, at least the starting point, the starting profile of a proud person looks like. So here's, here's three, uh, A, B, and C. A is this. Uh, the first thing that stands out about a prideful person is they despise God's wisdom. In Proverbs 1, verse 7, Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and understanding. The prideful people do not consult God's word on how to think or on a decision that needs to be made or before they give advice to someone. They would rather do what feels right or instead of doing what is right. Or they would rather use the world's wisdom instead of God's or they would rather create their own wisdom like they are a God. Now, keep in mind that prideful people don't overtly state all the time that they despise God's wisdom. They just sometimes don't say it at all. They show they despise it by not consulting it at all. They say with their actions, what God thinks doesn't matter here. I already know what I want to do. And Solomon says, that's foolish. I have noticed over the years, I've studied people and counseled people in ministry. It's interesting to see how sinners like to avoid God's word when they know, almost instinctively they know, the word of God is going to tell them they can't do what they've already made up their mind to do. And somehow they forget to check the scriptures on that. Or let's say it's a relationship they know they've made an idol out of, or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or somebody they are engaged to that they know they shouldn't be. They all of a sudden don't want the Lord involved. They don't want to hear what God has to say about it. Next, letter B, prideful people love to put others down and lift themselves up. They love to put others down and lift themselves up. Proverbs eleven twelve says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. It's a contrasting couplet, as we learned about last week, that juxtaposes the prideful fool against the humble wise man. The fool delights in deriding and insulting others, while the wise man remains silent. He listens. He seeks to understand. Sometimes the deriding and belittling that a fool does is disguised as humor, such as sarcasm, or roasting, as my kids tell me is popular, in school today, back when I was in high school, we called it casing on somebody, where at the lunch table, when I sat with the football players, it was all about, for the entire lunch hour, who could get the worst put down on somebody else. 
who could outdo one another and have a great comeback. And, oh, yeah, well, your mama. Oh, yeah, well, your grandma. Well, your great-grandma. And on and on and on. It's foolishness. It reveals a lack of judgment as compared to the wise man that has learned how to restrain his tongue. Proverbs 20, verse 14 exposes the foolishness of boasting about our own wisdom because that's something else that prideful people do is they like to boast about their own accomplishments. Let me be clear. One thing that the Word of God minces no words about is that no professing Christ follower should ever start a sentence with, I'm so proud of myself. Hey, do you know what I did? That's horrible in the, Lord, in the Lord's eyes. Horrible pride. Because it's saying, look at me, look at me. And what God's word says is, no, don't look at you, because that's how you got in a mess in the first place. Pride is the root of all sin. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. That's why sin entered the human race. That's why people are going to hell and rejecting Christ is pride. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, if you feel compelled to boast about something, if you just have to boast, boast about your weaknesses. That's 2 Corinthians 11.30, if you want to jot that down. Or Paul said, here's another option, boast about the Lord. Why don't you boast about that? That's 1 Corinthians 1.31. 1 Corinthians one thirty one. if you want to jot that down. It leads me to a question I just have to ask. When's the last time you boasted about your weakness? When's the last time you admitted, I am not good at that. By God's grace, I'm trying to get better. Or by God's grace, I'm good at some other things. Or, or how about when's the last time you boasted about the Lord? and brought him up in a conversation. Prideful people, they love to put others down and lift themselves up. Turn with me, if you would, to chapter 12, uh, Proverbs 12, 15. Just flip back a couple pages. Proverbs 12, 15. Again, Solomon writes... The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Here's letter C. The other thing that prideful people often do is they rarely admit they are wrong. They rarely admit they are wrong. The core reason some Christians struggle to admit that they are wrong is an undeveloped understanding of the gospel. They still think too highly of themselves and too lowly of God. And because they think too lowly of God, they don't believe what God's word actually says about them. They, they don't understand that we are made from dust. Psalm 103, verse 14. That our depravity has tainted every part of our being. And that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God stronger than men. The result of this poor theology 
creates a cascade of immaturity issues, such as being unteachable, not taking their sins seriously, getting into lots of arguments, and having too many opinions. But it all starts with being too proud to admit you could be wrong. So, how do we apply this? You saw in the worship folder today, uh, one of our core values is the, the word, learning and applying it, being doers of the word, James 1, to 25. And so here's one application that comes to mind, and that is to hate your pride like the Lord does. To hate your pride like the Lord does. One of the key signs of a growing walk with the Lord is beginning to love what Jesus loves and hating what Jesus hates. So we should hate pride because of what it represents. It represents rebellion against God. Or as Lewis Smedes earlier said, it, it, it represents puffing ourselves up in the face of God. We, we should hate it because of what it does to us and what it does to others. We should hate it because of how it makes the Lord feel. I think one of the many reasons the Lord hates it is because it reminds him of the adversary. I read a great quote from St. Augustine this week. I didn't want to overwhelm you with quotes this morning, so I didn't put it in the keynote. But, uh, but uh, Augustine said, said, pride is what caused angels to become devils. Remember, when Satan rebelled, he, he was an uh, angel of the Lord first, before creation. But because he wanted to be like God, he took one-third of the angels with him and set up his own kingdom with his own demons. Pride is what caused the angels, or many angels, to become devils. We have to start, though, by hating our own fruits of pride first. This is critical because our very own pride will make us want to hate the pride in others first. But we can do this by being quick to admit where we struggle with pride and attacking our own fruits of pride with, with specific scriptures and memorizing and praying them to tame them. It also means we have to call certain behaviors that have become acceptable to Christians, what God calls them. For example, attention-seeking behavior isn't cute, it's pride. Being a poor listener isn't the result of a bad attention span or being addicted to your smartphone, it's pride. Being too busy to serve others isn't caused by an overloaded schedule with too many people demanding things from you. It's pride. That's the root of it. Insecurity isn't caused by a lack of encouragement. God's word says it's caused by pride. So we need to hate our pride like the Lord does. Wise people, they know this. And so they pursue humility because they don't, want the, they don't want to be like the fools that paid for their pride. Next, if you would, turn to Proverbs 22, verse 4. We're going to look at humility now. What does Solomon say? What wisdom does God have about humility? Proverbs 22, verse 4. 
the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Here's point number two on your outline. The Lord loves humility and blesses it. He loves humility and blesses it. Boy, notice, you don't see reward often in the scriptures, but so far in all my time here on earth, I've never seen any homo sapien turn down a reward. We like to be rewarded. So what is the key to be rewarded? Well, humility, and notice it's connected to the fear of the Lord, which is one of the key phrases I mentioned in the verse. It's used over and over again. So notice, the Lord loves humility so much, he's willing to incentivize it like an employer would. Setting goals. You reach these sales goals, hey, you get a trip to the Bahamas, man. Because they know if we set goals with no incentive, humans won't do it. But the Lord knows that as well. I'm willing to reward Humility, because it's so important. Notice the fear of the Lord is important, because that's where it starts. People that are humble started with a fear of the Lord. We can't miss that. It's directly connected to what we think about the Lord and how we see him. Commentator Charles Bridges um, wrote a, uh, a commentary on the Proverbs that is seen by theologians as a classic. And I uh, picked up a copy of it for this series, and uh, Bridges shares this insight uh, on Proverbs 22, verse 4. He says this, quote, Humility will always be accompanied by the fear of the Lord. An accurate understanding of who God is will always lay us in the lowest dust before him. End quote. So, what does a person with humility look like? Well, Solomon writes a lot about that as well. In Proverbs, here's letter A. They delight in God's wisdom. They love God's word. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then disgrace. Remember I talked about the fools paying for their pride? But here's, it's, it's, again, it's a, a contrasting couplet, but with the humble is wisdom. Unlike the fool who despises God's wisdom, the humble delight in it. They love it. Or like the psalmist in Psalm 119, one of my favorite verses in Psalm 119, verse 162, uh, they love God's word like one who finds great spoil. The, the imagery is like, a, like a, a pirate that finds a treasure chest overflowing with gold and jewelry. It's fascinating the psalmist used that imagery to describe God's word. It's just filled with nuggets. Always finding a treat that I can enjoy when I open it up. And so, because those who have humility are teachable, they go to God's word and they delight in God's wisdom and they gain God's wisdom. 
because they never assume that they know it all. Next, if you would turn to Proverbs 27, verse 2. Just turn back a couple pages, a couple chapters. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Here's the next thing that Solomon tells us in his wisdom, inspired by the Holy Spirit about humility. Proverbs 27, verse 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. Here's letter B on your outline. Humble people love to put themselves down and lift others up. They love to put themselves down and lift others up. Again, Charles Bridges provides wonderful wisdom on this complimentary proverb here. Praise, he writes, is a comely garment. However, someone else must put it on for you or else it won't fit. Praise is like sweet music, but it never sounds well when it comes from your own mouth. Praise is like a rich treasure, but it will never make you rich unless someone else says it. Instead, Solomon says in Proverbs 15, 23, that humble people find joy in giving a timely word from the scriptures to another brother and sister in time of need. So they love to put themselves down and lift others up. Turn, if you would, to uh, next chapter of Proverbs 28, verse 13. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Here's letter C. The third thing that humble people do in the Proverbs, they often admit they are wrong. They often admit that they are wrong. In, in this contrasting proverb, the sage says the proud person tries to cover their sin by either not confessing it or rationalizing it away. They may do this because they are afraid of the consequences or because they want to appear better than they actually are. Such a person will not only fail to prosper, but we know from other scriptures that their sin eventually will be found out. I was thinking about this last night, uh, a few years ago, I think it was Tiger Woods when he uh, got caught in an adulterous relationship. I think he was the celebrity that came out and admitted it right away, owned it, said what he was going to do to make it right, and I remember watching it on TV and Proverbs 28, 13 came to mind and I thought, he's got a good public relations person. Whereas then not long after that, another celebrity had a fall or athlete and they made excuses, tried to cover it and hemmed and hawed and didn't own it. And it was interesting to see how the public just pounced on that celebrity. They just shredded him. And I, I thought, he needs another PR guy. And he needs to read Proverbs 28, 13. Because even unbelievers in the world will cut you some slack and show you some mercy if you're just quick to admit, I blew it, I messed up, 
It's my fault. I'm sorry. Here's what I'm going to do to make it right. The model here, the second half of the verse, is is the, the humble person who is quick to admit their sin and quick to request forgiveness. Such a person will often receive mercy that the concealer of sin does not receive. And the result of such humility, according to other Proverbs, is a, a person who is thankful for criticism. They, they are a person who receives correction because they know it will help them grow. Uh, for example, uh, it, Proverbs 9, verse 8, Proverbs 12, verse 15, Proverbs 13, verse 18, all describe the prudent, the wise, or the humble person that welcomes correction because they know it will help them grow. But let me just tell you, friends, they can't welcome and be open to correction or criticism if they first don't know they could be wrong. You see, the humble man or woman's first thought is perhaps I did something wrong instead of everything is wrong with everyone else. See, see the humble man or woman, they, they, they first look at themselves when there's a problem. Maybe I did something wrong. I need to check myself first. It's not easy. I admit I struggle with it. Because again, my pride, born out of my sin nature, loves to pounce on everybody else's problems. And it's so instinctive that often we don't realize we're doing it. So, the humble person in Proverbs, they delight in God's wisdom, letter A. They love to put themselves down and lift others up and they often admit that they are wrong. So what's the application? I think we need to love humility like the Lord does. We need to love it and pursue it daily. Humility is one of those traits that can only be obtained by chasing it. But it's quickly lost if you think you've got it. Again, being transparent with you, I'm ashamed to admit this. I've done this at home. I've done this in churches before. I've sometimes found myself being proud of my humility. (laughs) It's just how fickle and depraved we are. And I'm trusting that you're laughing because you do it too. Or you're not laughing at me, right? You're laughing with me. Thank you. Appreciate that. I'm, I'm insecure. <laughs> but when we pursue humility by God's grace and with the help of his spirit, what's interesting is that anger is replaced with gentleness. Anxiety with peace. A critical spirit with grace. Perfectionism is replaced by Christ-honoring excellence. Unsubmissiveness is replaced with being submissive and a willingness to yield. The fear of criticism is replaced by being teachable and willing to hear feedback from others so that we can grow. People that love humility and like the Lord does, they, they have a life model like John the Baptist. He, he must increase and I must decrease. Don't you memorize that one this week, John 3.30. He must increase and I must decrease. 
J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite 19th century preachers and authors, he, he had this to say about the importance of humility for the Christ follower. It's just a phenomenal quote. It's a little long, but stick with me. You'll see why it's worth it. I think it's about three slides. Ready, Dave? Here we go. J.C. Ryle said this, Humility may well be called the queen of Christian graces. To know our own sinfulness and weakness and to feel our need of Christ is the very beginning of saving religion. It is a grace which has always been a distinguishing feature in the character of the saints of every age. It is a grace within reach of every Christian. All have not money to give away. All have not time and opportunities for working directly for Christ. All have not gifts of speech or tact or knowledge in order to do good in the world. But all converted men and women should labor to adorn the doctrine they profess with humility. If they can do nothing else... They can strive to be humble. And all God's people said amen, right? Now you know why I love J.C. Ryle. So let's love humility, humility like the Lord does, and let's hate pride like he does. And let's commit to pursuing humility together as a church. Because if Superman can humble himself, then so can we, right? Wise people pursue humility while fools pay for their pride. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I want to pray specifically for the person who might be listening in this room or maybe listening online that without even knowing it, has dismissed this message as not being for me. Lord, please, would you, by the power of your Spirit, cause the blinders to drop from their eyes so that they could see what their pride looks like through your eyes. Father, thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth. We, we sang that before this message. We sang that beautiful song, Here's My Heart, Lord, Speak What Is True. And you answered that prayer through Solomon in Proverbs. You spoke what is true, that we are all prideful and we all need to pursue humility. And it can be done with the grace that is available through Jesus Christ and by the power of your spirit. Father, I want to pray for those that might be here today or listening online that they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ yet. They, they haven't yet repented of their sin and placed their faith and their heart and their life in the hands of your son so they can have forgiveness and salvation and peace with you. And Lord, we know from other scriptures that the first step to doing that is 
humbling ourselves by agreeing with what you've said about us, that we are sinners born to rebel against you, that our sin separates us from you, and that the penalty for our sin is death, an eternal separation from you and hell. But if we agree with you about our sin, and if we are willing to repent and turn from our sin back to you and to trust in Christ alone for salvation, Lord, thank you. You have promised that you will forgive us. You will renew us and restore us and begin a new relationship with us. And I pray, Father, that if there's anybody here today that needs to do that, you would make that clear to them. Father, please, would you help us to be a church that passionately pursues humility? Because even the world finds humility attractive. Show us where we're proud so that, Lord, we can deal with it in a way that honors you. I pray all of this in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.